open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians chapter 4, and we are going to pick back up where we left off last week, which we will be picking back up in verse 21, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. The title today, <coughs> the focus will be on freedom over bondage. Freedom over bondage. And we're just going to read through the remaining of this chapter, verses 21 through 31, if you would follow along, and then we'll get into our discussion. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not fear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman to promise, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written in Isaiah 54, 1 here, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate has many ch more children than she who, is, who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and his son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, <clears throat> these are probably some of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible right here. These are very difficult if you don't understand the allegory that Paul, or the illustration that Paul is giving to help close out his doctrinal argument, his theological argument to the Galatians. And he's using something from the Old Testament, from the law, the book of Moses, right? And the Genesis is being the key uh, book that he is using here, but also referencing even in Isaiah, to get across a point of his why doctrinally it is justification by faith. And it's justification by faith alone that you are saved. And that you can't do it by your own works, your own, your own efforts, and your own ingenuity and position and power or anything else that people try to, uh, to use as a justification why God would, of course, take me to heaven and accept me because I'm a good guy. I haven't killed anybody, you know. So these things, <coughs> he's bringing to closure here before he goes into the last two 
chapters, the last part of his letters, which is the practical or application of what he's been talking about uh, throughout this letter. So Paul the Apostle turned to a scriptural illustration here to bring about why it is about justification by faith and not by works. Now, in here, to take a look at this, we're going to take a look at some historical facts that he he gives us in verses 21 through 23. And I'm going to follow along. I'm going to give you a little bit of history so you understand what Paul is speaking to these Galatians so that they would understand the context of what it is. And the, perhaps the probably the easiest way to do that is when you read through Genesis chapter 12 through verses uh, chapter 21, you are going to find that he you're going to see that God from the very beginning, even in the the in Eden, it was based on grace and not based on law. Here in, with Abraham, it's very clear through Genesis, it's based on grace and not based on law. And so if you know the Old Testament here, you will understand how it reads all the way and is consistent all the way through into the New Testament. And it is about freedom over bondage. It's about grace versus law. And these things you're going to see as he goes through this. But we'll start with just who Abraham was. Abraham was called by God to go to Canaan, if you remember. And the man was 75 years old when God said, you're going to leave this land you know and you're going to go to a place you do not know. And you're going to do that, and he did do that by faith because he had no idea. He just, he just went. God said, this is where you're going to go, and he went. He, did, he just trusted God. He just His faith in God that, that God revealed to him, you're going to go, and he went. And God promises him many descendants, if you remember, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, the very beginning of chapter 12, both Abraham and his wife Sarah wanted children desperately. But Sarah was barren, if you remember. She could not have children. But God was waiting until both of them were as good as dead before he would perform the miracle, sending them a son. And we see that even referenced in, in what we read today, um, that Walter read today, is Romans 4, 16 through 25. <clears throat> Sometime God will give you a promise And he will hold and wait on that promise until that he gets the full credit when he fulfills that promise. He was waiting to to that these two people, Abraham and and Sarah, was not logically, by sight, by emotion, by every standard you could ever, as humanly think, could ever have a child. That this is done. There's no way that this could ever happen. But that's when God shows up. But God is involved in this. When God gives you a promise, he's going to fulfill that promise, regardless of how you feel and what you think and see and everything else. It's going to happen. So ask Abraham. Ask Sarah at age 75, what is this, how is this all going to work out? And then to make it worse, or make it even more intense, he waits 10 years. Now Abraham is 85. The promised son has not yet arrived. Sarah becomes impatient. She says, okay, now, honey, we're going to figure this out. 
We're going to go see everybody and anybody, and we'll have anyone lay hands on and take this food and drink this water. Whatever it takes. Make sure the temperature's just right. Make sure everything that woman was going to figure out a way to get pregnant. Now, that doesn't happen today in this culture. But it happened even back then. Sarah became very impatient when she so desperately wanted a child. So she comes up with her own understanding and figures out a plan and action. When a woman wants something, there's always going to be a plan coming about. And so she suggested to her husband, Abraham, marry Hagar, her maid, and try to have a son by her. Now, understand, in, during this period of time, that, that act was legal in that society. It was acceptable. It was not something that was broken the law or anything. <laughs> so he, for some reason, Abraham <laughs> happily followed her suggestion and married Hagar. And we see that in Genesis 16, verses 1 through 3. And sure enough, a year later, guess what happens? Hagar gets pregnant. Sarah gets jealous. But it was her plan. How could it be her plan to get jealous now? She figured this out and had it rolled out, and it worked. Why is she now jealous? But things are so difficult in home that Sarah throws Hagar out. Can you imagine that? <clears throat> but the Lord intervenes. He says, wait, 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 wait. Sarah, that's not how it's going to work. And God orchestrates and brings Hagar and back into the house and promises to take care of her and her son. And then when Abraham is 86, the son is born and he calls him Ishmael. Genesis 16, verses 14 through 15. So Ishmael's now born, 86. Well, it gets even better. God stretches this thing out for a little while. He gets to age 99, and God speaks to Abraham and promises again that he will have a son by Sarah and says to call her, call his name Isaac. Later, God appears again and reaffirms that promise to Sarah because she probably said, you're out of your mind, old man. There's no way I'm having a baby now. And so God had to come in and reassure her as well that, yes, you are going to have a baby. And we're going to see that in Genesis chapter 17 and 18. Well, Isaac, I mean, uh, Abraham becomes 100 years old and the son is born in Genesis chapter 21. And they name him Isaac, meaning laughter. <laughs> oh, baby at my age. Woohoo, that's a good one. And is commanded by God, and but the arrival of Isaac creates a new problem. And the problem is in the house. And Ishmael has a, a rival, he has competition now, he's got another son. And uh-oh, I've got another guy in the house with me. And he was quite the individual, uh, Ishmael was. And so here he now is, 14 years. So he's into puberty hitting kind of moment. And now here comes a little boy named Isaac. But Ishmael had been his father's only son. Very dear to Abraham's heart. Sometimes we portray that Ishmael and Abraham never had a relationship. But no, that was his only son. Of course they had a relationship. How will Ishmael respond to this new arrival of Isaac? 
Well, at age 103, dad has to deal with some even more issues from this decision. It was customary for the Jews to wean their children at about the age of three. And to make a, a great occasion, he puts a feast uh, for Isaac, and they're all excited, and I can imagine all the people and everyone coming, this weeding off the, his Isaac, his son Isaac, at age three. And what happens at that feast? Well, we see in Genesis 21.8 that Ishmael, at the beautiful age of, that he is now, around 17 or so, he starts um, causing problems. He causes trouble. He starts mocking scoffing at his little boy, Papa Isaac. And there is only one solution to the problem, and a costly one at that, and Hagar and her son have to go. And as Abraham has to make this decision for the sake of his household, with a broken heart, he sends off Hagar and Ishmael. Because the Lord actually follows up and confirms what Sarah was saying, that he had to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. God confirms, the Lord tells him to do so in Genesis chapter 21, verses 19 through 30. And on the surface, this story appears to be nothing more than just a, a dysfunctional family. One who was impatient with God's promises and says, we'll make it happen ourselves and we'll do it our way. We'll have a bride for you. We'll take you through this entire follow God's lead and find you. See, when God gives you a promise, you also have to accept his timing and his method of how he's going to do it. Just because he gives you a promise doesn't mean you get to go out and figure out that way for him and in his in your timing. It's his way, not your way. And when you do it your way, you will cause major challenges and the, rep, the rippling effect is amazing that can happen within a family. And in, as we know today, we're still effect, being affected by that decision that Sarah made of impatience and not waiting. But remember, God had to get them into the place where they, he wanted them to be before he would bless them with the promises that he promised them. Sometimes we just, we know we don't know everything that's going on. We sometimes think we know it all. And we, we, we develop the 10-year plan. And of course it's going to work out the way I want it to work out. But that's just foolishness as we know. In the scripture, that's just foolishness when you think you know and you're in control over the, uh, your life in, as a child of God. You don't have that control. And when you do take control, it has a rippling effect within your family and others around you. And in this case, the world. So tremendous spiritual power in this. Abraham, the two wives, the two sons. Paul here brings about spiritual realities and relationships, and he's going to teach us very clearly through this so that hopefully the Galatians is going to change their direction in how they're living and, and pursuing Judaism or pursuing uh, 
justifi- justification by works. So here in 24, if we, as, uh, 21 as we read, uh, tells us, he says, tell me, who, you who design. That's a key word in, the, in this verse. Be careful of your design and making sure that the desire is of the Lord. Because he puts the desires on your heart, but you must test all things by the scripture to make sure it is from God. Because if your desire doesn't line up with the scriptures and goes against scriptures, then I assure you it's not going to be God. So here he says, who you, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not know what it says? Do you not hear what that's telling you you have to do? That you have to keep day by day by day by day just to work, 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 work like a, like a hamster on a wheel to keep it going or on a treadmill. You've got to keep going or you're going to crash and burn if you don't keep moving. Do you understand what the law tells you? Do you hear what it's telling you you have to do? Because that's so important if we don't. Because the Galatians had not yet submitted to the bondage of the law, but they had certainly desired it. They're starting to play with it. They're starting to entertain it. They were letting the Judaizers to come into their lives and to bewitch them and to to cause them to move in those directions. That's why you have to be very careful who you're listening to and what you allow into your life. But Paul desperately wanted to stop them and turn them back to the life that is based upon grace and not upon the law. Because once you start going down that path, you're... There's some tremendous consequences from that. But as a transition to what would immediately follow, he challenged the Galatians to be aware of and to understand what the law really says. And Paul writes directly to them. He doesn't hold it back. He actually rebukes them. He really gets in their face over this situation because he understands the consequences. Why? Because he lived this for decades. He under, this is not a man who did like I. Well, that's not good for you. Well, how, did, have you ever experienced it? It's not like he's like, well, no, I've never been under the law before. No, he lived whole life was based upon the law. He knows what the fruit was going to be based upon that. He understood what was going to be the consequences. And so, as a father to the, their sons or to the daughters, like a parent, he desperately says, "Please do not touch you these things, or it is going to destroy you." But he directly speaks to them. He writes to them, who desires to be under the law? Living under the law, keeping as the basis for the relationship with God. You're telling me you could want to do all these things just to keep a relationship with God. That's how you could get rid of it. It's not how you started. It's not what I taught you. But why would you change and go to something that's not of God? See, there are many advantages to being under the law as a principle for relating to God. And that's why I think many people, even today, go to the law. They go to these religious things because they have the ability to, to first, you always have this outward certainty of a list of rules to keep. I have a good relationship with God. Because I've gone through and I've done all ten things that I'm supposed to do. I've read my Bible. I have prayed. I've done a good thing. I've gone to church. I've done, 
and you sit there and go, I did all 10 things. I must be re- God must be really happy with me and love me. I feel really close because of this. Second reason why you want to, many people want the law is because you can compliment yourself because you've kept the rules better than others do. Look at me. Do you go to church every week? Do you read your Bibles every day? Do you, how much prayer time do you have? And you start boasting yourself up. You become spiritually prideful because you come across have done all your things with a checklist. And I know you haven't done those things. That makes you feel better about yourself. Not good. Third reason why some people will go back to the law is that you can take the credit for your own salvation because you earned it by keeping the list of the rules. How do you know you're going to heaven? Because I've been doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. How is God going to, what is God going to say when you enter into heaven? He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because I've done all of the things on the list. Not because of what you've done, but because of what you've done. That's justification by works. That's why people like the law. Because they can see it, they can touch it. They're go-getters, they're, they're type A's. Boy, they love the list. Justification by faith. See, under the law, it is what you do for God that makes you right before him. But under the grace of God, it is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that makes us right before him. See, under the law, the focus is on my performance. Under the grace of God, the focus is on who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Under the law, we find fig leaves to cover our nakedness, our shame, our guilt. I've done these things that makes me feel better. I'm not as, I'm not, I don't feel so guilty anymore. But under the grace of God, we receive the covering one through sacrifice that God provides. Right back to the Garden of Eden. God provided for them a covering, a sacrifice, if you will. The first sacrifice. And in verse 22, we see, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. So now by turning to Abraham, Paul says in Genesis, using the book of Moses, part of the law, as you think about this, and as you think in in the whole subject that they're bringing him within under Genesis of who uh, uh, Abraham is and all that took place, even John the Baptist, if you remember, and Jesus said back in Matthew 3 and John 8, that the physical descent from Abraham was not enough to guarantee spiritual blessing. Just because you're in the family of Abraham or a descendant of Abraham doesn't make you a guarantee spiritual blessing. Well, Paul begins here in this verse 22 with two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And he explains that they illustrate our two births. 
the physical birth that makes us sinners and the spiritual birth that makes us the children of God. And he used these two comparisons, these illustrations to show the Galatians and believers what the difference is. And Paul reminded his re uh, readers as a contrast, this first contrast, that Abraham had these two sons and that they would should consider which of the two they were most alike. So Galatians, believers here, you have, I'm going to give you two examples. You have Ishmael and you have Isaac. The one son, Isaac, was born of Sarah, a free woman. The other, Ishmael, was born of Hagar, a slave woman. And according to the ancient customs and to the laws and the customs of that day, the status of the mother affected the status of her son. So if you were born, if you were a slave, a bondwoman, you had children, he became a slave. If that you were born of a free woman, then you, when you had a son, then that son was free. So it's a, it's a position of where you have fallen, a position. And he says, which one are you in? Which one do you want? Do you want to be in freedom or do you want to be in bondage? Because that's the choice you're having to make here. You're going to go back to the law or are you going to rely upon justification by faith and by grace alone? Which one are you going to choose? In verse 23, he gives you another contrast. He says, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. So he gives another contrast here concerning the manner of these two sons. Ishmael, we see here, was born in the, an ordinary way. The course of nature. It's naturally having a child between a man and a woman, requiring no miracle, requiring no promise uh, 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 of, of God to have that child. And naturally having a child when a man and a woman comes together. But for Isaac, on the other hand, he was born of the result of a promise. See, Abraham and Sarah was beyond the age of childbearing. God miraculously fulfilled his promise in bringing life out of the deadness of Sarah's womb. And that's, again, referenced out of Romans 4. In fact, God deliberately waited 25 years before he granted Abraham and Sarah their son. 25 years. Isaac was born after the spirit and the Christian today is the born of the spirit. John 3 verses 1 through 7. Isaac came into the world through Abraham, who represents faith, Galatians 3.9. Sarah, who represents grace. So that means Isaac was born by grace through faith. As every true Christian is, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by grace through faith. Now, though Sarah was previously barren, was blessed with a child who would ultimately enjoy an even greater offspring than Hagar ever had. God not only had uh, Isaac, but many children afterwards in her old age. 
to continue to bless her with children. Now, in verse 24 through 27, he takes this historical piece and now brings in an allegorical interpretation and brings it to a little bit more clarity for them. In verse 24, he says, which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So here we see the, uh, the first covenant that was presented. And so in order to emphasize the, the contrast between the law and grace, between freedom and bondage, Paul brings this to light by using, again, first the two sons, but here now the two wives and the two uh, of uh, covenants that come out of that. And so as we take a look at this, he's first covenant he shows, and if you remember, the biblical term or the biblical word for covenant is contract. So this contract, these two covenants, these two contracts sets the rules of our relationship with God. You can have a contract with a relationship based on works, or you can have a contract, a relationship with God based on faith or grace. Which one is it? Which contract do you choose? Paul brought it right down to the issue confronting these Galatian Christians immediately because these legalists wanted them to relate to God under one set of rules, one covenant, that one contract which is based on works. You need to have a know Jesus Christ, great, but you also need to do the following to be able to have that relationship with God. That is justification by works. That is not what we are to do. And he calls it under the Mosaic Covenant here. And it's an origin, if you remember, just like when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the law in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. Here he uses the same thing as the origin of Mount Sinai. This under the legal covenant of where we're slaves. And as Hagar was brought forth a slave, so does the law bring forth bondage like a slave. This covenant, the one that's of origin of Mount Sinai here, Paul says, gives birth to bondage. And since it is all about what we must do for God to be accepted by him under this covenant, it doesn't set us free. We're under the bondage of keeping the law every day throughout the day, day after day after day after day after day. And what happens? You and I, nor could any of the Jews or anybody else, keep the law day by day perfectly. That is bondage. That is weight. That is religiosity, legalism. And you and I, if you're under that covenant, you will find that when you're under that tremendous weight of bondage, the love dissipates. The grace for others dissipates. Your patience and understanding and long-suffering, all the fruits of the spirit of love dissipates in your religiosity of life. So when someone says to you, I have been a Christian for 20 years, and you're sitting there having a dialogue and conversation, 
and you're just not sensing the love at all coming, the fruit that just naturally is born from the fruit of the Spirit, and you don't sense love, and then you just watch the facets and the conversations, you will see that more, guarantee they're under a legalistic bondage. They've chosen the covenant of Melchizedek. They've chosen bondage and freedom. They've chosen a, a relationship with God based on their works, not his Hagar gave birth to a slave, Ishmael. And in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12, Ishmael was a wild man. He was so wild, he was not even being able to be controlled by his father, his mother. No one was able to control this young man. He was raging with Ishmael. And even though he was a slave, nobody could control him. And like Ishmael, the old nature, the flesh, is at war with God. And the law cannot change or control it. Just because you're keeping the law does not change and control your out-of-control human natural nature, the old nature, the flesh. And it's only by nature that the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. We see that in later on in Galatians 5.17. So no amount of religious activity is going to change that picture that roars within your life. If you are choosing the law, you're going to have that, 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 that the battle between the flesh and the spirit, and the flesh is going to win out in your life because you've chosen to go based on what you can do, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to really do my best this time. I'm not going to allow that to happen to me because I'm going to do my best. You're doing it based on your own strength and your own uh, understanding and your own way. And you're going to fail because your best is not good enough. You must choose the different covenant of based on freedom and know that God has already paid that and is going to give you the strength and lives within you to actually overcome everything. You trust in him, not in your own strength. But Ishmael is a picture of the flesh. And when the flesh dominates, you are at war with God himself. And the law Whatever you've tried to do to earn his God's love or try to <clears throat> appease your flesh by doing certain things, it just doesn't change or control it. And whoever chooses Hagar, the law, for his mother is going to experience bondage as we see. But whoever chooses Sarah, grace, for his mother, is going to enjoy liberty in Christ. God wants his children to be free. He wants you to be free, to live a life free from the law. To just live a life in Christ. He wants to hear you in Christ. In verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem 
which now is and is in bondage with his children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So Paul brings two Jerusalems, two different Jerusalems. Hagar stood for the first century city of Jerusalem, a city enslaved to Rome, enslaved in the slavery to the law. Sarah, on the other hand, corresponds to the Jerusalem above. Paul says it's the Jerusalem above, the mother of all the children of grace. It is associated with Jerusalem above or the new Jerusalem in heaven. And this heavenly city, which one day will come to earth, we see in Revelations 21.2, is now the city of the living God. We see in Hebrews 12.22, the home of the departed believers of all ages. And Paul says, that is the Jerusalem we heavenly city. The second one brings freedom. How does it bring freedom? How could it bring freedom? Why does it bring freedom? It's because it's free is is because it's Jesus paid the price and we don't have to pay it ourselves. It's rooted up, it's finished. It's complete. We must rest in that Rest in his, what he has accomplished in our lives. Verse 27. Paul gives Isaiah 54, 1, and he says, For it is written, Be joyful, barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Here in this quotation is prophesied the changing fortunes of Israel, which Paul applied to Sarah's history here. If you remember, Israel before her Babylonian captivity was likened to a woman with a husband. The barren woman was Israel in captivity. And then the woman bearing more children may have pictured Israel restored to the land after the exile. But more and more uh, practically, from my perspective, it's speaking to the millennial blessings in heaven because it's tied to the heavenly Jerusalem that is coming back with Nehemiah to this earth. And then the final portion of this uh, chapter we see in verses 28 through 31, Paul now gives a practical application and he brings it to kind of full fold at the very end here. And he says, now... Verse 28, we, brethren, my brothers and sisters, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So he first gives three, he does three comparisons in this, at the end. First one we see here in verse 28, the first comparison, and he compares the birth of Isaac to that of Christ. As Isaac experienced a supernatural birth, and was a child by the means of a promise given by God himself, so each believer, you and I, experience a supernatural birth. We see in John chapter 3, verse 3 and 5. And we too are a recipient of the promise of salvation. He gave a promise by faith. He gives us a promise by faith. And here you put your trust. And with that promise brings freedom, salvation. 
And as a child of promise, Paul says, Christians are in a distinct position in Christ, and we should not live as children of, of bondage. If you were born in a household of a, of a, of a free woman, and you're a child of God, you are to behave, you're to act, you're to pursue, you're to continue to learn and grow to be a child of God. You do not act like a one that is a slave when you're not a slave. You don't think like a slave child. You don't ponder on a, being a, a, in the past a slave child. You ponder on your position you are in today as a child of God, a free child. One with all the resources and all the things available to you to live a life that is pleasing to God. That your heavenly father is going to be happy with you as a child. Right? He's just so pleased because he's just, you're, you're allowing him to work and, and you're coachable. There's no greater Joy, as we see in 3 John 4, there's no greater joy than to see your children walk in that footsteps. No greater joy. That your children are teachable and coachable and, and they're listening and say, Dad, what do you want me to do next? Immediate obedience just follows as Dad just guides and coaches and, 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 minister and, and kind of matures his son to, to, to a point where he's so mature, he's now going out to have his own family. greater joy. In verse 29, he says, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. So the second comparison that Paul gives us here is the comparison the apostle compares Ishmael's persecution of Isaac to the false teachers in their opposition to the believers. He's saying, you've allowed these Judaizers to come in and to bewitch you and to mock you and to, to, to false teach you to bring you back into bondage as a believer. That can't happen. It, you just, that can't happen. Just like Abraham, here he is celebrating the weaning of Isaac with a banquet. And on that occasion, Ishmael decides to scoff or mock Isaac, laughing at him and putting him down as a younger brother. I'm the older son. I'm the one that's going to assume the heir of my father's wealth or state. Who do you think you are? And Isaac was persecuted. So Paul is saying, let me give you this example. Let me bring it into context here. He says, Ishmael is the flesh. And the one who's in the flesh always causes problems with those Isaac who's in the faith. It's always going to be a conflict. There's never going to be peace between the flesh and the spirit. From freedom and bondage. Never going to be peace there. So Ishmael's the flesh. Cause problems for Isaac just as the old nature causes problems for us. And as we go and continue in chapters 5 and 6, we will see that Paul clearly brings that into light of the fact that the old nature will 
always be conflicting with the new nature of God. There's going to be a spiritual battle constantly. And Ishmael created no problems, if you remember. If you know the scriptures, nowhere in the scriptures do we see that Ishmael really caused any problems except he was a wild man. But he didn't really cause any problems in the home until Isaac was born. And just as the old nature creates no problems for us, until when? The new nature comes in. You could live in sin when you were not when you were you were not born again. You could live in your sin. You could do your sin, and as long as it didn't break a law and get caught, you, that didn't bother you. You could sleep around and drugs and alcohol. You had no problem lying or any of these things that may have put you in bondage earlier. But as soon as you became born again, then there was conflict. Immediately, that new nature and the old nature butted heads. And so when you tried to live in the old nature way and you told a lie, immediately a conviction came about. There was a thump in the chest and you say, what did you just do? A conviction hits you. It's the same thing in church, did you know? You come in as a non-believer, you sit, you, if you continue to fight and want to stay in the old nature, and you hear the word of God, the new nature just pounding on you and pounding on you, and just a conviction, you can't stay here. Because it's not touchy-feely here and seeker-sensitive. We teach the verses, verse by verse, the Holy Spirit's going to come, the new nature's just going to, I want to come in your life, I love you, I want to save you from that wickedness that you're dealing with in your mind. And those who will finally hear the voice of God and open up the door and allow him in, he's less harmful. But there's still a budding between your flesh and your spirit that will continue to work until we have our new bodies complete and we're complete in him when we see him. There are no more confliction between your old and your new nature. It's just between and bro between us. Let's continue to praise the Lord. But that's what it means here. He's saying here, there was no problem with Ishmael in the home until Isaac was born. And then that brought in like just like the old nature, new nature is just going to start butting heads. That animosity had been perpetuated in the two people groups, if you know, as we know the, the history, which has descended from these two sons of Abraham. And we see it in the current uh, Arab and Israel tensions today. Someone says, what's happening over in the Middle East? Why is everyone against Israel? Why is there such a... It's called Abraham and Sarah <laughs> made a decision to go outside of God's will. And that's why we have what we have. And when people say, we'll have a peace treaty, that will never happen. You have to know the scripture. That will never happen until Jesus comes back and reigns on this earth in a new and better way. Amen? Paul likened the Judaizers to Ishmael. As those who were born out of legalistic self-efforts. He charged that they continued to persecute the true believers who were born by the power of the Spirit. Now remember, Paul is 
just a few exceptions. Paul's persecution, all this persecution, physical, mental, spiritual persecution, came from the Jews to people who were in bondage to Verse 30, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bound woman and her son, for the son of the bound woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So the third comparison that Paul gives here in this part of the the letter is the comparison of the action of Abraham and the obligation of the Galatians. When Sarah observed Ishmael mocking Isaac, she asked Abraham to expel the slave woman and her son, lest Ishmael become a joint heir with her son Isaac. And God granted that request of Sarah in Galatians 21, verses 10 through 12. They said, he's got to get out of here. You can't stay here. Got to get him out. There's no way this is gonna, they're going to be able to dwell and, and, and Ishmael have uh, heir to this. And this reminded the leaders that law observance, keeping the law, brought no inheritance in the family of God. Just by you thinking you can keep the law that you are going to inherit the kingdom of God, you have been falsely accused. You can't have it. It also charged them to excommunicate the Judaizers and those accepting their false doctrine. Paul made it very clear. Take you and your barbecue and get out of here. Because that cannot happen. You cannot have these Judaizers sitting around in this place. They've got to go. Those who have chosen, who've been bewitched and are listening to these Judaizers, you need to get, pack your bags, get out of here. They cannot be dwelling in the same place. If Why? Because there's going to be conflict. There's going to be butting of heads and people are going to get mad. Fundamental incompatibility between the law and grace, between a religion based on works and a relationship with Jesus Christ based on faith. And finally, verse 31. So then, brethren, you are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So Paul affirmed that he and the Galatian believers were not the children of of the slave woman, who was driven away and was denied a share in the inheritance. That is not who we are. We're not going to go down that path. One of the greatest issues in this was freedom. Paul knew the bondage of trying to earn his way before God. He lived most of his whole life trying to earn it. And he was the best at it. In need of a king. He lived it for decades. Now he knew the freedom of living as a son of God, free in Jesus Christ. And he says, I'll never go back to that. Never. All believers are children of the free woman. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17. Do not forget. God has placed you in his family. You are his co-heirs. And in the closing chapters of 5 and 6, in this letter, Paul will point out the greatest tragedy of legalism. 
and it gives opportunity for the flesh to work. See, the old nature cannot be controlled by the law. Eventually, it will break out, and when it does, watch out. If you're trying to do it by the law to keep yourself from sinning, watch out. It's only a matter of time. It's going to break out, and it will be out of control, and it will crush desperately. That is why you cannot try to do anything reason why this is important as Paul will do in 5 and 6 because it applies to even churches today. Churches who are legalistic who allow legalism to creep in here and there always does what that does and that causes conflict and division. Legalism always causes the religious groups to fight or bite and devour one another that we will see in Galatians 5.15. And often are plagued with the defiling sins of the flesh, and we see that in that, in that section of, uh, of chapter 5 as well. You, every church has its share of problems. Don't get me wrong, except for this church. But it's especially prominent in those groups where there is an atmosphere of legalism. When you invite Hagar and Ishmael to live with Sarah and Isaac, you are inviting trouble. But thank God, the Christian is set free from the curse of the law and the control of the law. Why? Because it was cast out. It was not allowed to dwell in your life or the church's. change but as Abraham did we must do as well we must cast it out even though we think and feel that that is you want to keep it you must get rid of it because anytime you attempt to mix law and grace it is an attempt of impossibility you cannot have both that would just make you frustrated like a barren Christian life. You want to know why you feel barren? There's no fruit coming from your life? You want to know why it seems like you're always in a winter and not seem to be refreshed in joy and, and peace in your life? Check your heart in how you are living. Are you doing it based on works? Or are you doing it based on what Jesus Christ has done for you? Because that is your answer to figuring out what's going on. What is the secret to freedom? You might be asking yourself today, how can I have that freedom? Because I don't feel freedom. I feel like I'm in bondage. I feel like I have to serve God. I have to come here on Sunday. I have to read. I have, I have versus I want to. My brothers and sisters, I want you to get to a point where it's like David, I just want to spend time with God. I want to spend time with God's people. I want to just have this joy and peace. I want this freedom. I do not want this religious 
bondage I feel like it's always around me. Well, the secret to that freedom is what? God. It is who? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the secret that Paul will share in the closing practical chapters in chapters 5 and 6. And so I encourage you to come back and make sure you hear the rest of the story and the answer, the secret to living in freedom for the gospel. Amen?